Hello, and welcome back to our eighth and final episode in our series on application modernization. In this episode, we're going to hear more from our guests, tie up any loose ends, and get some final words of wisdom on the subject of application modernization. And to start off this episode, I went back to our friend Andrea Crawford and asked her about what her application modernization engagements are like. When we view engagements that deal with modernization, I think our clients would be a little bit disappointed if we were just to pick up their workloads and put them in the cloud. Where's the innovation, right? There's always an opportunity to do a little bit more, a little bit extra, something they never had before, right? So modernization and innovation can go hand in hand, and often they do. We don't treat them all together all that differently. So it's not just a lift and shift, but uh, as one of my colleagues referred to, um, it's really more of like a move and improve and being able to infuse some innovation along with the modernizing along the continuum of cloud native, wherever you are in that continuum. Well, thank you so much, Andrea, for taking the time to answer all my questions throughout this series. And I really appreciate you introducing me to the terms heritage workload and move and improve. Next up, I wanted to share with you part of my conversation with Brandon, our security consultant from Louisiana and fellow podcaster. I asked him about best practices for enterprise workloads. And here's what he had to say. OpenShift kind of comes out of the box with a lot of compliance policy, right? So we don't have to go in and actually develop that policy up front. So we can kind of take those policies that Red Hat's already developed, implement them. And that saves us a lot of time. OpenShift also has container scanners built in, right? So we can scan containers of vulnerabilities. We can scan image vulnerabilities with OpenShift. So yeah, OpenShift adds a lot of value and it's kind of why they're the leader in the market. And it's one of my jobs is explaining to people why OpenShift is such a good thing because it does have kind of a heftier price tag than in the open source Kubernetes stuff, right? Which is free, but it, it does add value and it does get you up to speed quicker, right? If you're using the open source stuff, there's a lot of more time and developer and expertise that has to go in to get that to where it is, which is possible. Uh, but, you know, when OpenShift gives it to you in an enterprise edition very quickly with encryption capabilities and security capabilities and integrations with scanners or integrations with IDPs, it, it helps. So big thanks to Brandon for all his contributions to the series. And as I've mentioned earlier, he's a podcaster and he's launching a new security podcast. And as soon as that's published, I'm going to add that to the show notes. But moving on, I wanted to loop back on some of the fundamentals we discussed earlier with a topic near and dear to every developer's heart, and that's monitoring and logs. So I asked our friend Duan from Red Hat about monitoring and logs in the context of an application modernization initiative. You probably log a lot of things. You monitor a few things and you alert only very specific things. If you alert for everything, it's chaos. But then if we go back and talk about the concept of monitoring, when your application is running, at least in cloud scale, you can't SSH into machines and see what's the CPU and disk usage and whatnot. It's just not possible based on the scale we have. So you need the right amount of monitoring, which would indicate that something somewhere goes wrong. And then also with maybe a bit of explanatory message so that it makes your life easier. So there's, as you mentioned, there's a ton of good tools for that. Sysdig, there's a combination of Prometheus Grafana for the dashboard. It's pretty popular for Kubernetes. 
So thank you very much, Duan, for taking time to answer all my questions throughout this series. I appreciate your expertise, not only about the technology, but also really enjoyed hearing about your career counseling and the Ikigai methodology. And after our interview, I went down a research rabbit hole and, and read more about it. And it really is such an interesting concept that you know not only fosters productivity in the workplace, but also just personal well-being, which I think we all could use that. And uh wanted to shift gears a bit and loop back with Mike Spizak, CTO from IBM Security Garage, and ask him a little bit more about application modernization initiatives, getting to the production ready phase. So let's hear from Mike. In order to really focus on production ready, I guess in the context of containers, these concepts can apply to lots of different technologies in the sort of the life cycle of building out. But I think there's a couple of ground rules that would be very important to ensure a consistent production ready in the world of containerization. I think the first is to standardize, right? This is super important. It was mentioned a few times already how we can produce infrastructure as code. So standardizing on a common platform and a common base allows for that consistent repeatability. I think we also want to go on the side of what I'll call minimalization, right? So uh, limit content within these containers to just the things that are needed in order for the container to function or the microservice to function. And that's especially true from a security perspective. You want to limit and minimize what these things can do once they're on a standard base. When thinking about it from a teaming perspective, it's important to have a diverse set of teammates involved. And I've mentioned this before in the past, how security is everyone's responsibility. Ownership in a lot of these different areas of expertise when it comes to data or it comes to security or it comes to certain types of code could be partitioned and delegated to those who have expertise in these areas, but teamed and paired up so that we can all learn from it. Also, from a production-ready perspective, as we move through the pipeline, focusing on areas of optimization and automation where it makes sense, uh, will help make that streamline. And then you get to the tail end of any of these things, and it's rinse and repeat, right? Iterate. Don't Let's not repeat the mistakes of the past. Let's improve them, but then iterate and fail fast, pivot quickly. So I think if you combine all these sort of ground rules of like standardization, delegation, minimalization, and iterating, we can build things that'll be production ready consistently every time. What I think Mike expressed very well here was that an application modernization initiative, if executed well, is really so much more than the initial scope of the project's goals, because now everything you do moving forward can benefit from the new ways of working, with the goal obviously being continuous delivery and production ready code every time. So big thank you to Mike for all his contributions to this series. So shifting gears once again, let's check back with our friend, Mary Gugleski, for some thoughts about containerization and her experiences working with production systems in a pre-containerized world. For using containers, another great thing, it goes back to my days as working at the Mercantile Exchange. Because of the financial applications being very sensitive, there are a lot of testing that are required. So you can imagine, right, as developer, we start developing in our own development sandbox. We have to pass our own unit tests. Before we can promote it, let's say then we give it to QA. QA has their own sandbox where they test, you know, in their own environment. And then when QA approves it, then you still need to push to another certification environment or it's more like a pre-production. So it's like before you can push it to production, you have yet another layer. So you can imagine, right, without containers, what used to happen is that you have all your build files in your developer environment. 
and you build it, then you also have to set up all these parameters. You know, if you push it to QA, then QA has their own way. They have to inject in their own parameters, how many maybe worker pools, whatever, all these specific things that you need for your environment. And then by the time they finish testing, then they push it to pre-production. Pre-production is supposed to be duplicate exactly of production. So you can imagine it gets very expensive and it's not easy. And very often too, as developers, that's what we kind of stay up late on the weekend. It's like you try to push something out and QA said, okay, you know, we're testing. Oh, by the way, we it doesn't work. It doesn't work. They claim it doesn't work. So in the meantime, your developer, you're trying to say, well, you know, it doesn't work, but I am using these parameters. What are you using? And they say, oh, we're using this, but how come it doesn't work? So there's no way you know why it doesn't work until you take their environment and plug it into your development sandbox and try to run it to figure out. And you can imagine it's very expensive. Now comes container, right? Container, that's a nice thing. You basically have the whole environment, the configuration all encapsulated inside your container. But the container, the way it's built is that you can plug it into any environment. You can control it separately, but your container is the same. So you can imagine how much time it has saved. Being able to replicate a similar environment, you can imagine too, it's how much value is being added by using this kind of container concept in which you can kind of move things around into different environments. So that's an example of how we must move into this newer way of doing things and take advantage of this virtualization technology to enable you to mimic all of these environments being able to exist in different runtimes. And, and, you know, that's, that's just no way out of it. I don't see another way of doing that. I think Mary did a great job of reiterating the value proposition of a containerized workload and also sharing her personal experiences of working in mission-critical environments that had these problems that are now solved with a modernized workflow. So thank you, Mary, for all your contributions to this series. We're getting close to the end of the series and the episode, and I wanted to close out with some thoughts from our friend JJ about microservices and application modernization journey. So let's hear from JJ. If you step down the path of microservices, if you go down that journey, and even if you pick out just a small portion of it, that adding value faster, what I like to rephrase is getting the velocity you want for your developers, right? Nine out of 10 times, especially in the enterprise world, I'm going to say something that's probably a little bit uncouth, but whatever. This is, I hear the enterprise doesn't move very quickly. I don't know about you, but I, I hear, I hear it kind of happens that way. So by the time your executives are like, we need this out in the market, it's a very strong possibility they're not exactly the uh, tip of the spear on that statement. Well, now, if you imagine the amount of time it took for them to realize that that needed to happen, and for the amount of time it comes all the way back down to the actual boots on the ground to make the thing happen, that's a very long time. So you're already behind the market. Moving into a microservices-based architecture and start looking at getting that velocity your developers need there's probably a bunch of overhead to get to that point for your developers to get that feature, let's just take feature X released. If you actually focus and really started taking portions of the cultural shift and the way to change these things to be microservices, you could, in theory, start that from the day that executive mandated we needed this feature. And because automation is a huge portion of doing microservices and the way things are done, you can start working on that problem that day, right then and there, and get something that builds, does the feature they expect it to, 
and get a proof of concept done in a significantly shorter amount of time, you can actually get the stuff out in the velocity that your developers are starting writing the code, right? Instead of dealing with the six, eight month waterfall process of getting your application out there. And then that six weeks after you've released the thing to make sure that it actually works how you want it to, the velocity comes from small iterative changes that allows you to get that feature out from the happy path to the production path, the the customer facing path to be able to win at business. I really like how you frame it around the developer velocity because it takes it away from just being this arbitrary goal of achieving that to like the actual organizational process you need to do it. And this is what we do as advocates, right? We have to have empathy for the people doing the work and using the tools. And I hear what you're saying. Once you sort of figure that out and you get that cultural process and that's in action, then you're going to really shorten that time from when you have it to when you do it because that process is already there. And it it comes down to respecting the worker and the work that needs to be Mm -hmm. done, not just some arbitrary, you know, end goal. Exactly. And people forget that developers are knowledge workers, right? Like this stuff is hard. People forget that the jobs that we do are hard. It's really hard to come up with these things and you can't throw more bodies at it. That's what software is. Like you have to build it up over time. You have to have the knowledge of how to make it happen. So you can't throw more bodies at a problem to make it expect it to happen. But if you take it and, and you have that cultural shift and you start using the modern day tooling that we have, if you start leveraging those things, all of a sudden the knowledge workers can actually work on the things they need to work on instead of the overhead that the world has put in front of them. So I'm very passionate about this stuff. Indeed you are. And thank you, JJ, for sharing all your knowledge, passion, and enthusiasm for technology and application modernization. And thank you to our listeners for going on this journey with us through the Application Modernization Podcast Series. I hope we've been able to provide some insights and inspire you to start your own journey. If you have any questions on application modernization, open source technology, or enterprise technology, please feel free to get in touch with myself, any of my fellow developer advocates, or the IBM Developer Garage. Please like and subscribe on your platform of choice for more from IBM Developer Podcasts. (laughs) 